Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations, a podcast by Practical E-Commerce. What is going on, Internet? Eric Vandals back again with another E-Commerce Conversations. Hope all is going well on the other side of the internet. On the other side of the table from me is the very popular, highly desired <laughs> Tracy Wallace. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yes, yes. She has built quite the name for herself. And his fortune is, is a neighbor, apparently. So yes. lives uh, really close. I feel real bad because the last time we met up at Webb's breakfast, I was wearing the same sweatshirt. And I'm like, you're going to think I only have one piece of clothing. Oh, not true. I mean, look at me. I am in a sweatshirt and jeans. I'm like, I'm just going to walk down. Like, yeah. no big deal. Just go into a friend's house. Yeah. It, well, it is brutally cold here in, in Austin, probably. Like, or Austin. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, like 50 degrees or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Very cold for us. But uh, you're with Market or Hire and they've absolutely blown up. They have. Marketer has grown an insane amount. So I've been there about a year and a half. And buddy, when I first got there a year and a half ago, I was the only full-time marketer prior to that. As you may imagine, Marketer Hire is a marketplace for freelance marketers. They used freelance marketers. The primary way that they marketed at the time was paid ads. And paid ads are still very important for us. But I was brought in to build up, you know, non-paid channels. So organic search in particular, which is what my background's in what I've done for several other B2B companies. So since then, we have grown year over year 500% in organic search and 700% in leads through organic search. So we're actually growing faster in leads than we are in traffic, which is the best way. It's the place you want to be with organic search. So things are going well. And now, man, like the growth of the company. I mean, I have never been at a company where you are just like pulled forward by market demand. And so I always feel like we're behind. We're trying to grow our team as much as we can. We're a marketing team of five with seven freelancers. So we use freelancers from our own network as well. But we still we need an in-house talent as well. So we're hiring you know, product marketers, copywriters. Our you know, sales team needs more sales enablement. Yeah, we're trying to figure it out. And then all of that too, in like the midst of the privacy first web and like re-trying to figure out attribution and what marketing attribution is going to look like moving forward. So... We're testing out, you know, incrementality testing, media mix modeling, and ultimately trying to get ready for, you know, Google's going to be updating their operating system come end of 2022, at which point it's theorized that like attribution on the web is just going to disappear Mm. entirely, which is fine. Marketing existed for a very long time without very clear attribution. It's just for the last decade we have had very clear attribution or decently clear people can argue on that for a variety of reasons, but yeah, we're trying to figure out like what is the future of how we measure marketing and how can we properly explain that both as like marketers ourselves to our own executives, founders and investors. And then also how can we properly explain it to the market and to our freelancers and help those freelancers explain it to their customers? A lot is changing in marketing. It is a crazy time. Yeah, I can't think of a more relevant business than right now. Like everyone is looking for help 
and marketing. Yeah, marketing help. And so many people have quit. Like, I mean, we we just did this report the other day. So gosh, I can't I can't think of the numbers off the top of my head, but August, the amount of people in the US who quit their jobs is the highest ever in 20 years, right? And now this has been kind of adding up and growing since the pandemic started when a bunch of people were first laid off. And then as it kept going, just people have been leaving. I mean, an event like COVID and being stuck in your house might make you question, I don't know, everything you've ever done, (laughs) which a lot of people seem to be doing that. And so a lot of folks have been quitting their jobs and we're just seeing this kind of restructuring of how people want to work. I mean, Web3 is happening in all of this as well, in which individuals can become true creators and make sometimes far more money than they could ever make with a company, right? Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing is that we interviewed our audience. We have about 25,000 subscribers on our newsletter called Raisin Bread. And this past summer, we surveyed them and 48% of them said they were planning on quitting in the next six months. Oh my God, really? 48% of them. And then, so that was in like June. Hopefully, and- <laughs> hopefully my team members are not. <laughs> it's scary. It's scary. Right? So it's really scary for business owners, especially small business owners. I mean, larger companies can often throw more money, throw more benefits, right? But that's really expensive for the small guys. So we did a survey that we just launched several days ago called The Great Resignation Can Be Better Titled The Freelance Revolution. And Rather than necessarily going and interviewing freelancers, we went and interviewed marketing leaders at small businesses to enterprises, just about everyone. We interviewed like over 600 folks and ultimately found out that like what marketing leaders are doing is they're hiring freelancers. Like they still need work done, (laughs) right? And so there's a lot more freelancers out there. A lot of them have a lot more credentials. They're trying to figure out how to set up their business models properly, you know, because freelancing isn't just do the marketing work. If you're a marketing freelancer, it's also do your taxes and find the clients and like sell additional services, right? But yeah, I mean, companies are hiring freelance marketers faster and faster. So it's kind of this world right now where you have a lot of people rethinking how they work, how long they work, who they work for, what those benefits are, what the structure of that day is. And then you have people who are still working full-time for these organizations finally saying, you know what? I am just going to hire freelancers for pretty much all of these roles because they're stressed, right? They still need to get projects over the line. And so it's this, it's it's not as scary, I think, for small businesses. Freelance Hiring freelancers can be really helpful for you in, in a lot of ways. It can be cheaper in a lot of ways too, but you do have to be good with onboarding and with scoping projects. And that seems to be um, pretty challenging for folks. Even me as a marketing leader, sometimes I'm like, I don't know how big this project is. Yeah. <laughs> We've kind of shifted a lot to freelancers as well. And and kind of the the way I looked at it as a small business, you know, someone to have 40 hours worth of work for them, the chances are as a small business, they've got to wear a lot of different hats. Whereas the beauty of hiring freelancers is I could get someone for, you know, the equivalent of one day a week, who's like really good at posting on social media, really good at video editing, or really good at copywriting. And that's all they're doing. And they love doing it. Right. Whereas when you're hiring that one person in house, they may love social media, but they hate, you know, blogging or they hate posting on, you know, Facebook. Right. Or whatever else you need them to do. Right. Like that is the challenge with some of those early full time hires at the small organizations is you need people to do a lot of things. Now, some people love that and thrive in that. But a lot of people are like, actually, no, like you said, I'm really good at social media and I only want to do social media strategy. And I'd rather do that for five different companies than like do social media strategy and posting and comment monitoring and whatever else might come along with a job. 
That said, though, one of the things that like we come across a lot at marketer hires folks, I mean, they just have budget issues, right? And so for us, it starts at like fifteen hundred a month per marketer. But one of the ways we're talking small businesses through this is one, I think it's really important for most organizations. If you as a founder aren't like a marketing person yourself, you probably do want to find some full time marketing hire, like just to have in house to help project manage, to help get these projects over the line, to help finalize them, right? To kind of help build that vision of what it is you're going to do. Because freelancers often can't come in and do that for you, right? right? They work off of like very specific scopes and on very specific projects. And then once you have that full-time person in, don't think that like you necessarily need to hire like an email marketer freelancer and a social media freelancer and a content freelancer. You can like, oh gosh, what is the word? Like not stack, like segment. Oh God, I can't think of the word, but you can hire one at a time essentially, yeah. right? So you could hire an email marketer in for, I don't know, two months or so to get like good email streams up and running, right? You can hire social media people in maybe for only five hours a week. Like you can get really creative with how you build a team. And that's also really important right now in marketing because literally everything's changing. Yeah. Um, you know, TikTok, I mean, I know it existed last year. I, I was on it last year, but it was nowhere near the size it is today. We can all talk about like the clubhouse, like Boone, and then it's like, yeah, does it still exist? I, I, I yeah, removed I it know. from my phone. <laughs> yeah, I, I never had it on my phone. But yeah, I mean, people aren't using it as much anymore, right? And so there's this new social app coming out of France called Yubu. You heard of it? No, no, no. Like you, like Y-O-U or? Y-U-B-O. And like teens are using it to like video chat with each other as they brush their teeth, apparently. Okay. And it's like becoming very crazy popular. Anyways, we don't know what's coming next in marketing yeah. and what all these different channels are. And for small businesses where you often have a competitive advantage, if you jump on a channel really early, can be really helpful to like be working within that freelance zone where you can, you know, give people more work or take work away as channels and as trends kind of change. Yeah, we, uh, you know, Snapchat, is that? I think it's still, <laughs> still thing. I know yes, it's still yes. around, but it's just like. <laughs> my wife uses it all the time. Yeah. It's not on my phone anymore, but I just don't have enough friends using it, I guess. Yeah, I feel like I'm an, an old guy, you know, like it's just like, we oh yeah, my space. It's so sad. <laughs> I want to circle back to kind of what you talked about earlier is organic, which I feel like is kind of like the redheaded stepchild. It's like one of the most effective tools out there and the most neglected as well. Organic search in particular. Yeah. What are the strategies to execute on that successfully and, and to grow that? Yeah, well, so, so many things. My goodness, we could do like a two hour long podcast on organic search strategies. Here's a couple reasons though why people often ignore it and the like kind of baseline ad advice I give to people. So one, organic search takes time. And people are not patient, right? Especially when you could like put money up behind a Facebook ad and like, I don't know, see how it works again. Not a paid expert. I hear that's not the best strategy either, but neither here nor there. Organic search, for the most part, is going to take at least three months to start seeing results, more likely six months to a year, right? And for a lot of businesses, that, that's, a, like, that's a lot of money to invest in something when, when you're not going to see the money for a long way out. So as a result, and historically, you've only seen larger companies invest in it, right? I worked at big commerce or even big commerce. I mean, I was the only content person there for what? I was there four and a half years. So for three and a half years, like that's nuts. And they're a major organization, right? Shopify, on the other hand, 
had a bunch of people working on it. You know, HubSpot invested in it very early. I mean, all of those are tech companies. I think Glossier is the like example in the direct to consumer world that people always talk about. But Glossier was into the gloss first, right. so like, well, it's still there. They still have like two different properties. Yeah, so they had a huge advantage, right? They had a blog for a long time first. Like that makes it a lot easier. So mm-hmm. it takes a really long time. I understand why people don't invest in it the like best piece of advice that I think I can give to any like small business owner who's like, okay, how can I, without ruining the bank, begin ranking is ideally you can post like one article a week, heck even one a month, like this stuff adds up and it can add up really, really fast. And if you aren't sure ultimately what to like write about, um, one, like whatever your own expertise is now grant you want it to be related to your business if you are like selling bikes and your expertise is in beards you probably want to write about bikes like this is more relevant to your business but whatever your like expertise is in relation to your product do a very quick google search on that like whatever it is like i don't know how to build a bike like specialized bike parts whatever there's a ton of seo tools out there but google will tell you so much information so just hop on there google it look at what all those like There'll be 10 articles on that page. Look at those, especially the top five. Read those and then start copying. So down at the bottom, Google will have like suggested searches. Copy those suggested searches. Drop them in a Google Doc. We'll also have like suggested questions or whatever else. Copy those questions. As you click it, more pop up. You only need like three or four of those questions. Drop that in a doc. And then like using like your knowledge, go in, look at all those things that you just collected and you can kind of create like a brief off of that, right? Like what kind of questions to answer, what other things people are looking for when they're typing this, whatever. You can create a little bit of a brief. All of those things should be your headers. So that's, you know, like your H2s. I don't know if that's too technical, but all all of those should be your headers. H stands for header. Yes. yes. And then H1 is your primary header. And then H2 is like your secondary header. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. So all of them would be your H2s. And then just write, like just answer it. You can write it in your own voice. Okay. You could even use like copy AI or like Jarvis or all the like AI tools out there. Like, yes. And then just edit it to like sound like you. But I mean. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I'm going back. What is copy AI? What is Jarvis? What is this? Yeah. So those are all the new like copywriting tools out there. Now, I'm not exactly sure how much money they are. I've tried a few of them out myself. Now, I will say I'm a writer and like for me, it's not challenging for me to write a bunch of content. It's harder for me not to write a bunch of content. So like, that's fine. So anytime I've gone to use them, I'm like, oh, this is bad. Like whatever. If you aren't a writer though, you use one of those tools, you can put in a topic like how to build a bike, whatever. You can choose your like tone, voice, a variety of different things. You could even put a whole outline into these tools and they will write articles for you. And they, it's just like the, it's it's AI. AI. It's not like legit people doing it. Yeah, exactly. And so some of them spit out like whole paragraphs at a time. Some might only do like three sentences at a time. You can edit it. You copy and paste it. It's not like anything else. It's not plagiarized. It's not plagiarized, right? So it's like actually creating it. And then some of them I hear, again, I haven't used these as much, but some of them I hear will even learn over time your tone and voice and how you write and can like change how it writes to fit that. So if you were struggling to publish one article a month, go use one of those AI tools. They're Do you tell good. it like, hey, I want a 1200 word article on fixing a bike? Yep. And then I'll just create one. 
So, or do you put in like keywords that you want? Or Yeah, so so some of them depend, right? So some I think you can go in and say like, hey, I want a 1,200 word article. Most of them won't like write the entire article for you. They do it by like section and paragraph, right? Okay. And that's so that like you can help direct it, right? Like, okay, now you have this paragraph. What needs to be explained next, right? And so okay. most of them are walking you through this template where it's like, what's the title? What are you trying to explain? So on and so forth. And it like, builds it out for you. And then of course the idea is that ideally you'll edit it a little bit. Right. right? But some people, I don't, I don't think they are like people are using this for like their ads now or for copywriting. Like it's all over the place. That's pretty cool. I've never heard of that. So I'm tempted because I've got a new brand that I've got to do something. And I've always been a big believer in content marketing. That's something that we've done at Beard Brand. We've got thousands of articles and well, and YouTube, YouTube I mean, it, that's yeah. video, but it's still content marketing. Yeah, yeah. Content marketing, I, you know, like a lot of my guests who come onto the show are content focused yeah. people. And it's one of those gifts that keeps on giving. It's like compounding interest because once you build authority to your website, whenever you add something else new, it just like lifts it and lifts it. Right. I mean, the way I describe it is it's like it's truly building a moat around your brand. Like once you start ranking, once you have good authority, again, it keeps growing, like you said, but like the moat just gets bigger and bigger. It's going to be harder and harder for competitors to catch up with you, which is also true if you aren't publishing content. Your competitors who are publishing content, yes. The other thing I wanted to add is if you're struggling for ideas, think about your customer service tickets and the questions that they're having. Just build out an FAQ form. At least you're going to be helping your customers and you can automate your customer experience and then you'll have more time and resources to allocate to other things. Or, I mean, and you can go dive on Quora and Reddit as well. Like if there's any very popular questions about your niche, that's probably a good thing to write an article on, right? And see if you can't start ranking for it. You can always share it with folks there. Now, don't do that if you're not like already active on those channels. That's not helpful. But those are really good places to to go look. YouTube comments, right? Mm-hmm. Going and looking through YouTube and seeing what people are asking. I mean, there's stuff everywhere. And then again, now you have AI tools that can pretty much write the content for you. So the strategy for SEO is it's not so much about focusing on keyword stuffing or, or whatever it's about. How do you develop content that is around the products that you're selling? It's around the products that you're selling. So yeah, so there's, I mean, to get a little bit more technical, I use a tool called Arefs, A-H-R-E-F-S. I prefer it over SEMrush. A lot of people use SEMrush. I, to be very honest, can't figure SEMrush out. And I love Arefs so much. I've just been using it for my entire career. But if you go there, put your website in at the very top, and it's going to show you all the keywords that you are already ranking for. What I then often do is go in and there'll be a little button that like shows volume. And so I click on volume so I can see the keywords I'm ranking for, even if I'm not on page one, just ranking however, that have the highest volume. And so it's like organized that way. And then it also has something on there called a keyword difficulty score. Now, the more difficult it is, it's a score of one to 100. The closer it is to 100, the more difficult it is. The more difficult it is, if you haven't been doing content marketing, like just ignore it. <laughs> like, like don't do that keyword. Focus on something else that has like far less difficulty. Typically, the harder something is, you have to already be ranking. You have to already have authority. So look for things that have high volume that you're already ranking for even just a little bit and that have low keyword difficulty. And then look at what that link is that you're ranking for and see what you can do to A, either add content there, make content better around that specific topic. Or go and build out a blog post that better answers like what that keyword's trying to get at. And you can pretty quickly start moving up. Say if you're like, I don't know, number 40, which means you're essentially on like the fifth page of Google. 
you can start moving up pretty quickly just by doing that on a weekly basis. And that doesn't mean that you even need a long form blog post. Now, blog posts can be really helpful, but you can even do this on product pages. You can add more content in. Your reviews can certainly serve as content, though make sure I know not all review plugins actually like index the reviews. So that's really important. Make sure that you're talking to your reviews tool about if they are indexing. I think on some of them you have to pay more for that, but that's just additional content. And as those reviews come in, that looks like brand new content to Google. And so in Google's eyes, it looks like you're updating that page Mm. like every day. That's fantastic. Like Google rewards people who are updating pages. So you can just expand your product pages even to try to go after keywords, which you even see larger companies doing this. Like Big Commerce right now, if you were to go there, like bigcommerce.com slash e-commerce dash platforms, I think, or even just search e-commerce platforms, that URL used to take you to a blog and now it takes you to a sales page. It still has a bunch of content on it, but CTAs are clearer and higher up on the page. Marketer Hire does this stuff. Oracle does this stuff. I like found it on their site years ago and I was like, this is genius. Like don't send people to a blog, send people to a landing page. Increases conversion like crazy. A lot of those ideas come from the direct-to-consumer world or the e-commerce world where like folks are figuring out ways to optimize those product pages, which are your most valuable pages. I want to touch base on the strategy behind updating content because you mentioned they love it. What if a brand like Beard Brand, we have a thousand articles, you know, a lot of them haven't been touched in a number of years. How do I update them? Like, how do I do that in a way that just doesn't look like I'm updating the post yes. date or something. Oh my goodness. Okay. So say you have a thousand articles you've published in the past and you want to get a bunch more traffic to your website. Boy, are you in a good spot. I would again, go and drop your URL into a tool like Ahrefs. And ultimately like you just need to combine or like get a visual of what are all 1000 of those articles? What keywords are they ranking for at all? And ultimately what you're probably going to find is some of them are ranking for like some keywords but most of them probably aren't ranking for very much or what they're ranking for is like very small. So what you then probably want to do is figure out, okay, which of these URLs is like the strongest? So which one is ranking for the best keyword that is getting the most traffic, whatever. And then you want to essentially rewrite that article and combine all of those blog posts into one. Google also likes long form content. So like a 4,000 word article, like super long or, because I mean, Assuming like each of our articles are a thousand words long. Yeah. Yeah. So for a lot of them, you'll want to combine it. Now, if they're all a thousand words, I'd be careful, right? Like you probably don't want a 4,000 word article, but maybe you do. Do you do do, uh, 301 redirects and then you'll kill the small? Yep. So, So then you would just redirect to the one that's like new and improved. And then ultimately what you really want to do for any articles you're publishing where you're going after a keyword you really want. You want to be updating that content at least once a year, if not every six months, especially if other people are like out competing you for it. Sometimes you don't need a huge copy update. Sometimes you can just like do a light copy update, add in a couple like, I don't know, extra examples and pictures, 100% pictures. And this is like so many people miss this. Name your images, like put the keyword in the name of those images because that pulls through super important. You can even hide keywords back there. Like there's tools like ClearScope, for instance, that will tell you what keywords need to be in your article for it to like rank the highest. It's a very good tool. Highly recommend it. Sometimes you can't fit all those keywords in there and you're like, why is this even relevant? I just hide all those in my picture names. Mm -hmm. So Google thinks they're in there, but like people don't. Does that make sense? Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
We're going into gray hat territory. <laughs> I mean, it's, right? not, it's, it's not gray hat. I mean, it's kind of relevant. It's and not it's black like, hat. It's, it's not, not black hat. hat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is improving the experience for the reader. It's getting the goal I want, which is Google sees all the right keywords. But I know that maybe that word isn't relevant to the actual audience. And so, like, I mean, I come from a journalism background. I'm like, I don't want to include that for people in, in here and throw them off. But in order to rank and hit the goals that I need to hit, like I have to have this word in here somewhere. So you just like hide it in a name. Do you have any guidance or tips on actually designing the website and how like multiple columns? I, obviously oh. you mentioned like photos, but like how should the photos be done? Mobile like first. The blog site? Or yeah, site yeah, blog general? post. Well, I mean, if you've got expertise on both, you know. I mean, page, yeah, I, I would trust my like content like site UX expertise over any of the other ones. I have ideas, but I'm not an expert in the others. So one of the things that is really important for a content piece like a website your ux on a, on a blog is a table of contents especially on those really long posts you could say it's a ux kind of thing but ultimately what it is is like as the bots come to your page and like read it they like having information well organized that's why pages with breadcrumbs often mm-hmm. do well because google can like just more easily follow it similar idea google can like more easily follow what the ideas and overall topics of your blog post are if you have table of contents. So is that a H2 tag or H3 tag? It's a, yeah, it's pulling up your H2s. It's also great. At the very top. So you, very you top. have your title, you have your table of contents, and then you yep. have your article. Yep. Yeah, there's this website right now that I really like called Candor. If you like, look up Candor Salary Negotiation, this will pop up. I'm not even exactly sure what kind of tool they are. They are doing this so well, probably better than most other places that I've seen because most blogs, like, you'll see the table of content. Some people even manually put them on there, which is fine too, but it's just, like, not done in a way that, like, feels really intuitive and you can tell it's just probably for SEO. It's probably for the bots, not for the people. Candor is doing such an amazing job. Like, you land on that post. They don't even have it called a table of contents, but, like, that is what it is, but it looks relevant to the reader. You start clicking on it. They have audio in there. They have visual. Anyways, highly recommend it if you're looking for like candor. something to copy. Or it's candor. I would just Google candor salary negotiation because I'm not sure if it's candor.com. Okay. But it's candor salary negotiation on Google. You'll find it. It ranks well. And then you'll get a higher salary from it. And well. then, yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, on that post, they are like arguing for like how you can get a 400K salary. And I'm like, well, this just doesn't even seem relevant to me, but I love this. I love the design and I love the idea behind helping people do that. But yeah, if you follow that advice, that might work. It's crazy. It's a lot of money for someone like me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here in Austin, Texas too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially here in Austin. But so yeah, so, so you want a table of contents. I mean, other than that, that's like kind of like large fonts, small fonts. Does that really make a difference? I mean, yes. And Google will tell you if a font is too small. I mean, for a lot of this, like you just have to put yourself in like the shoes of the reader, right? Like is the font big enough for me to see? That is my number one feedback as like somebody editing designs. Like when I get designs back from designers, I'm like, I don't know if it's me or not, but I can't read it. Like it's either too gray or it's too small or the font seems small, like too far apart. And I designers must like hate me for that feedback. But like designers love small fonts. They do. They love and and they love all this white space. And I'm like, I get it. Like it looks nice, but like I can't read it. Like the purpose is to read it. Anyway, so I would try to make font a little bit bigger. Make sure all of your headers, so your H1s, H2s, H3s, ideally all the way down to H6s, make sure that they have like one 
within the code themselves, they're marked as H1, H2, H3. Google reads that. But also make sure, like, from a visual perspective, there's a difference, right? right? That a reader can tell, like, what the hierarchy is, right? Like, that's really important. So people, we talk about Googlebots a lot where it's like, Googlebots like to be organized, right? They, whatever. People do too. Like, they also like to not be confused on a page. So, like, make things stand out. Make things easy to scan, right? Like, if you're going to do bullet points... Like, I don't know, maybe bullet points are in a little bit of a different color or if it's like numbered list, maybe those numbers are a little bit bigger. Like what will help people scan and like get the information they need? Because we're all busy, right? right? And you want people to be able to get value from what you produce rather than coming to your blog and being like, God, that font's too small. I don't know what this is talking about. I can't even find what the headline was, right? Like that would be the opposite of good. So I don't know. That's not like that helpful. But like trust your gut and instinct, have a table of contents. And then, I mean, look at what other people are doing. Candor, sorry, negotiation's really good. What are people doing for email collection? Do you recommend pop-ups or? No, well, oh God. Okay, I hate pop-ups. I've always hated pop-ups, but they work so well, like so well. And every single one of my like growth marketing people always argue me on this and they win because the data proves that people love pop-ups. I personally, as a human on the internet, I hate pop-ups like so much. No, I don't want you to pop up an offer when I'm about to leave the website. Like, no, like if I wanted to give you my email, I would find it. But keep in mind, I'm a marketer on the internet and I, as a result, often know where to find to give people my information. And that's not how most people are, right? So pop-ups work really, really well. There are some SEO implications behind using them. Google doesn't like pop-ups either. But I haven't been able to find an SEO person yet who like shows me that it will tank a site. So if you want to collect more emails, a pop-up probably makes sense. Just know there will be people like me out there who hate the website because of it. (laughs) You and me both. Yes. 10 years into the business, we still don't do I hate it. I mean, even think about like media companies. My God, you go to their websites and it's like, add, 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 pop-up, pop-up, pop-up. Like everything takes forever to load. I'm like, This is why people don't come to these sites anymore. Like you don't want to be that. So be very, very careful. The like rule of thumb I like to put in place at the very least, this is my like one thing I've gotten growth people to agree to is like wait like 30 seconds or have them scroll down half the page, right? Like have them show some level of interest before we're like, and now here's this new thing. I'm so desperate. Yes, exactly. I need your email. Exactly. And then I'm just going to unsubscribe anyways. Like. Anyway, so so yes, it is important to collect emails. I do like what some of the brands are doing with SMS, where one, they'll put it in like you know, their Twitter handles or Twitter profiles or on the website as well, or I mean, on packaging, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it, but where you text them. Oh my God, I love that, right? Where it's like, and that's your opt-in, right? Is you texting them. That's the opt-in. I love that. That does not feel like it's in my face. That doesn't feel desperate. It feels more normal. Like When you say you text them, the visitor texts the company? The visitor texts the company. So it's not even like a phone number collection, right? And we've all seen those same kind of pop-ups where like, give us your phone number and you'll get 10% off. Instead, it'll be like, oh, there are some brands that did this so well. We do a text style to this phone number and then we'll give style advice. Exactly. Exactly. Stuff like that. I love it. I think it's genius. Or like there were like cooking brands that did that during COVID that were like text recipe to this number and we'll send you recipes. And I'm like, this is genius. 
you didn't spam me. I asked specifically for this. It's related to the brand and a content marketing kind of style so that I'm building trust and affinity, but I'm not annoyed. Very easy to opt out when I don't want it anymore. Like, I love it. I think it's genius, but also I don't know how it's working for brands just as a consumer. Uh, I like SMS it. is killing it, I think, for everybody. Okay, good. So, good, good, good. You've heard it here. It's working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you got to get on that train before it gets too burnt out. So, Like email. I think it's kind of at that point where it's not so early that people are jaded. They've already gotten their SMS messages. Right. And it's not too late where it's it's like email, you know. Yeah. So it's, well, I mean, not to like turn this around on you. What else are y'all doing in SMS? Is it just the style stuff, or yeah, do so? You... So we kind of break it down to two different camps. It's one where it's a customer experience, kind of like customer support. They'll text us photographs of like their beard, and we'll tell them how to trim it or shave oh it. Oh my gosh, that's hair. amazing! That's yeah. like Warby Parker's like very early like tweet. I can't remember what it was, but the people used to like tweet at them wearing like their different Warby Parker glasses and like their support team would respond with like which one they thought looked best. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get like updates, you know, a couple months down the road as their beards grown in. And yeah. It's just really cool. And then there are people who purchase from us and during the purchase process, they'll accept marketing. And that's going to be more kind of like campaign driven. Right. Right. Uh, right. We'll, we'll try to integrate as much, you know, like two-way communication for lack of better terms as right. possible but that is kind of more of that traditional blast right so. i mean i will say my favorite kind of sms message from a brand is the message that my package has been delivered oh, yeah. <laughs> like i will always open that i will immediately get up and go get it lest my dog come and like i don't know, like ruin the package or unless somebody like comes and takes it but that in of itself i used to have a direct-to-consumer brand called door sleep is on big commerce and i love big commerce for a lot of reasons I used to work there very helpful if i were ever to move to shopify the main reason i would move the number one reason i would move is because they have that like text message upon delivery just like built into their checkout and it's so nice i sure. love it tracy where can people reach out to you where can they contact you how can they support you yeah i'm at trace wall t-r-a-c-e-w-a-l-l on twitter I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can DM me, follow me, all of that jazz. That's that's really my my main place. And then there's Marketer Hire. So at Marketer Hire, you know, I subscribe to Raisin Bread. It is a newsletter sent once weekly. We don't do SMS right now or pop-ups. So enjoy the site. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and if you're one of those marketing team members who might be doing freelance work. Yeah, if you need to hire freelancers, if you are someone who wants to freelance, but doesn't necessarily want to find your own clients. Marketer Hire finds clients for you so you can apply. It is a pretty rigorous vetting process that you go through. We are looking for folks who are experienced, but once you get in, I mean, we have folks on the platform making upward of 300K a year without having to go find their own clients. So nice. it's nice for them. <laughs> Sweet. Well, this has been another e-commerce conversations. Hope you guys had as many takeaways as I did. I'm going to get some AI uh, writing done. Copy AI. Yes. Right after this. Cheers. Keep on growing.